welcome. Welcome. So this is a bi-weekly podcast where we, Lauren and Bonnie, yes. sit down, we watch a movie. Sometimes we do it standing up. That's true. You can't see us, so you don't know. Exactly. Sometimes we're laying down. I feel like you'd be able to hear if I was laying down. While watching a movie? Oh, no. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, so then we, we do some research with our minds, and then we create check your threading with our oh. mouths. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate that I love that. <laughs> That is what happens. <laughs> Check yep. Your Threading is a show about the history, psychology, and context of each film we choose. That is correct. My name is Bonnie. I'm a hot mess. I can hear Lauren's cats fighting in the background. I recently bought several succulents that have since died because... Mm. The moisture in the air is becoming more than enough to sustain them. But me, being still of winter mindset, was like, oh, I need to water them. And so I watered my succulents to death. I'm so sorry. That's how I always kill mine, too. Uh, I'm Lauren, and there's a crying baby somewhere in my apartment building that doesn't belong to me. Uh, I like routine, and I just ate two extremely small brownies. Brownies? No, well, maybe. I hope not. That would be not cool if I wasn't told in advance. Drugs with consent, kids. And I like uh, a good cathartic cry um, when I watch my 90s rom-coms. I'm going to apologize because I'm in this rickety-ass wicker chair that makes a lot of noise. And I'm going to apologize for my neighbors who seem to be recording a podcast of their own at high volume. <laughs> Are they really? I don't know. I sure hope so. <laughs> they talk really loud all the time. How are you? I'm good. How are you today, Lauren? Good, but the sun's about to go down and you know what that means. What does that mean? It's purge night. Oh, snap. <laughs> so in keeping with the theme of America for July, we chose the purge. Mm -hmm. Yep. The Purge is a 2013 horror thriller directed by James DeMonico, starring Ethan Hawke, Lena Headey, Max Burkholder, and Reese Wakefield. It was not generally well-received by critics when it first came out. The very, very first one is the one we're talking about today. But the people loved it. I think that's very telling. Yes. I think it's interesting that you say that because when I was doing research, I found all these think pieces about the first purge, but I didn't look at any of the reviews. So it's almost like you're saying there was a wave of negative reviews, a wave of positive response from audiences, and then a secondary journalistic wave that was like, oh, we have to write about why this is resonating with people or not. Did you see anything similar to that? I see it more as the series went on. Okay. People started to take it more seriously. I definitely agree with that. It's yeah. it's going to be hard to only talk about the first one. Well, um, I would love to walk us through the history of at least the first film. So, um, so it's 2013 when this movie comes out, the year 2013. And we're in the middle of an interesting point in history. Obama has been president for four years and been reelected. Uh, and we are solidly recovering from the 2008 recession. 
recession. And the period since that bounce back is making everybody look at how wealth has changed over the past 50 years or or has not changed, depending on what um, fiscal dem- demographic you're a member of. So The Purge is a movie that just screams wealth inequality in big flashing letters. Mm. And that's not specific to 2013. It's like, this is a trend that's been on an upward swing uh, for the past 50 years. And 2013 just happened to be a good time to start cashing in on it. Uh, that's why the sequels are doing well, because this problem has been going away. But back to 2013, Occupy Wall Street, gives us the phrase, the top 1%. Mm -hmm. Uh, This happened in late 2011. So it's still very fresh in folks' minds when we watch The Purge, which is ostensibly about the top 1% neighborhood in whatever city this is supposed to be. Mm, We have a a dude who's gotten rich on selling people something that could basically be considered necessary to survive, but this necessity has been created by a weird exterior system. So he's definitely preying on this sense of like fear-based sales. So the cat capitalist thing to say would be, well, he didn't sell them anything they didn't want, but the socialist thing to say would be, well, everyone should have the same opportunities for safety on murder night. Mm. So this whole thing is a mess. Um, And also, this isn't like a power to the people thing. This is rich white people tearing down other rich white people trying to get more power. Mm. So that's gross. So that's where we are economically. The other thing I'm going to go out on a limb and say here, the purge feels like an analogy for gun control to me. There's so much extremely polite endorsement of Purge Night in the movie where everyone's like, oh, yes, this is our right. Yes, indeed. We could never take that away from you. And us, the rational viewer, is going, okay, but it's murder night. Listen to yourselves. The whole time I was watching it, that felt a lot like the way guns rights activists and gun control activists talk to each other. It's also worth keeping in mind that this movie came out about six months after Sandy Hook, which is just enough time to make a low-budget horror movie about gun control, if that's the commentary you want to go with. Um, Also a point in my favor, the new seal for the United States looks like the NRA logo. I just found this in a New York Times review after the fact, so they agree with me. Um, So (laughs) this idea of like, oh, we all feel safer having the purge around. The purge is important. The purge is good. Even if you don't endorse the analogy, it's good to keep in mind that the same psychology that we're seeing behind increased mass shootings is the psychology that they're trying to fix in the purge by giving people designated crime night. So that's where we are historically. Yeah, yeah. So to me, along with the gun control thing, I find uh, the purge to be about the phrase kind of support our troops, you know? Okay. Especially since there's a legitimate veteran who's being chased around the the affluent neighborhood. That's a really good point. I forgot that he says he's a veteran. Yeah. You see the slogan everywhere. T-shirts, deli signs, like you see it on, you know. I used to walk by a food truck every day that had big decal on their their truck that said support the troops on it, uh, on the street facing side so that people would see it. And, um, you know, you slap that shit on a bumper sticker and you put it on your car and you feel like you've done your part, right? Because you're supporting, like you're saying you support the troops. Yeah, Uh, and you're avoiding the social consequences of not saying that, too. Right. Yeah. And you don't really have to think much further about what supporting the troops means as long as you say thank you for your service when you see somebody in a camouflage, like in their fatigues, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel that in the moment when... um, 
the dad is like negotiating furiously at the front door with the intruders like oh we we respect your right you know to purge we we support purge night you know like and the guy's like oh i see i see your blue flowers out there i know that you're part of the part of the system that's true and the thing about that is is when ethan hawk is at the door saying we support it but he doesn't want to be a part of it you know yes totally and it's kind of a skewed thing because it, it's not like a good cause. I'm not saying that supporting our troops isn't good. I'm saying that that mentality of we support this thing, but we don't want to get too entangled in it is a bad yes. thing. Yes, I agree with that. And I do think that that could, I think an argument could be made that that is also reflective of like our political climate at the time and the, and the, sort of careful way that politicians had to tiptoe around like anti-war but we support the troops like anti-murder but we support purge night like you you always have to sort of like carefully disclaim your words before you take a stand Mm -hmm. so they don't partake in the purge but they support it like like we just said right so uh unemployment has gone down this is what they know they know that unemployment has gone down that crime has gone down so they know that they're safer because of the purge right Mm -hmm. right and um their side of the fence everyone is happier for it and like i was mentioning on top of that we literally have an ex-army guy running around screaming for help and no one wants to deal with him all their doors are locked and in a way like this is an analogy for how we actually ignore the people who come back like you support the troops when they're troops but when they come back we don't want to deal with them anymore. Here, Here is a singular troop that we need you to care for and no one is helping him. Right. Yes. You literally can't even open your door. The only person who did was Charlie, I think is his name. The right. kid is the only one who lets him in and then it's a whole cluster fluff of an issue. Yeah, so. absolutely. So sort of to go back to the part about the flowers and the, you know, analogy of the support the troops ribbon. Ever since the first time I saw this movie, I have been obsessed with those flowers because they don't look like any normal flowers that you ever see anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I did a little research and they're called Baptista Australis. I may be pronouncing that wrong. I have not studied Latin. Otherwise called wild, blue wild indigo. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a pretty mundane plant and they're common in the Midwest. Uh, First Nations tribes and and then settlers used them to make blue dye. But the cool thing is that they were often worn as a protective charm or placed around your house for good luck or protection, mm-hmm. which is sort of what it's being used for in the movie. Yeah. Um, hey, like, don't fuck up our house. We agree with your crazy murder party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, and this is my favorite part, it's toxic. It's toxic? Yes. <laughs> So, you know, mostly for kids and for the elderly, like, don't eat it. Uh, So we've got some cool flower metaphors going on here. Like, the symbol of your night is poison. Your purge is a bad idea. I always love, I think both Lauren and I, fun fact, love looking up the flowers and the flora and fauna and everything. Like, there's, like, flowers and colors are, like, huge. We love that stuff because even if it's unintentional, it's still subconscious yes well there's like thousands of years of recorded history of the symbolism of like most natural things so it's always fun to dive into that exactly yeah i love that that's really cool i i was they said the name of the flower at the beginning and i didn't write it down Damn it. So I'm glad that you found the name. <laughs> yes. And uh, thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I was very excited when I found out that they were toxic. 
(laughs) I remember watching The Purge when it came out. So I figure I'm going to go with like the gut feelings of like what I was thinking as I was watching this. And the main one for me is the emergency broadcast system. Nobody likes that shit. Nobody likes to hear it. No, everybody, it freaks everybody out because it's supposed to. There's science behind the tones that they use in it that cause distress in your brain. Absolutely. Right? So they're using an actual noise for this horrible thing that's about to happen. And this very calm voice of this person, like explaining that basically it's murder night, it's time. And, uh, at the siren or whatever it is, all bets are off, you know? Right, right. I think it's interesting. I didn't get a chance to look this up, but that a certain amount of government workers. Oh, yeah. Level 10 government employees are protected or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, you know, pretty much the president, I think. I would imagine. Yeah. You know, you have the, the emergency broadcast thing. And then you have the siren, which is just as scary. I didn't look up the science behind that, but it's so different than our air raid sirens. Well, you know, it's funny because what it reminds me of is the combination of the TV special alert, you know, that we all grew up with hearing and doesn't really exist anymore. But then the siren reminded me of um, when I lived in St. Louis as a kid, we used to hear tornado sirens that were like hand cranked. And Mm -hmm. so this combination of like the technological alert sound and then what I associate with a natural disaster was a very interesting combo for me. That's, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately that EMS, I think it's emergency EBS, emergency broadcast system noise that you're talking about still is on television. I have the misfortune of a couple months ago, I was up late when they were doing the testing in my area. I don't tend to think of TV ever going off the air anymore like the way it used to in the 90s. Yeah, so it freaked me the heck out. Mm-hmm. And it kept me awake for <laughs> like an hour or so after. I was like, Ugh. it just, it it's a full body response, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially for people like you and me who lived in the Midwest and who had to deal with Tornado Alley, mm-hmm. that it's just a good use of that sound, I think. Yes. yes. And then like you were saying, the siren being the hand crank plus a kind of a, a technological deeper noise, you know? Yes, yeah. It's, it's modern enough that you know it's not about bombs or tornadoes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was the number one thing that really unsettled me. They really start you off. Like, the, you're going to carry that through the next 70 or 80 minutes. Yeah, right. And then at the end, don't they do the sirens again? Yeah, they play it at the end to indicate that the 12 hours are over. Right. And what a different feeling, right? Mm -hmm. You're relieved to hear it at that point. Yeah. So um, in addition to the broadcast sound, um, I also feel like this genre must be my jam. I don't really know what to call it other than like dystopian, utopian, you know, like it's a functioning society. It's not utopia, like everybody's smiling all the time and like there's no reason for it. Ethan Hawke goes to work and he does his work and then he comes home and he has issues with his kids, but like it's all 
a utopian society because like crime is at 1%, you know? Yeah, I think, and I don't know which stories you're about to talk about, but I think that it falls into this category of like utopia at a, at a secret cost. Yes, exactly. That was actually my first one I was going to talk about. There's this great story that reminds me so much of The Purge. Uh, it's by Ursula Le Guin and it's called Those Who Walk Away from Omelas. Okay. And it's a story about this perfectly utopian society where, you know, the the opening scene is basically it begins with this lovely festival in this green pasture and all these children are racing on horses and stuff and music's playing and it's beautiful. And then later we find out that the only way this society is able to flourish like this is because they literally have a child sacrifice locked in a dirty basement somewhere in the city in Damn. the basement. Okay. Uh, that can never be shown kindness, can never be spoken to, like they feed it gruel. It's that classic paradox of you sacrifice one to save many, or you save the one and sacrifice the many, you know? And I think that, um, I have not read the story, I would like to, but it sounds like it also follows the model of people say that this makes our society function, but you as the consumer of the media start to wonder if that's true or not. Like, does the little boy really need to be locked in the basement? Do we really need murder night? Right. And everyone has to go witness this at some point in their lives. They have to go see the child. They cannot interact with the child, but they have to see it. And then the title refers to people who are like, I can't deal with this. Uh, There are people who walk away from Omelis because they can't deal with the, the sacrifice being made for it to be what it is. Okay. So you're like turning your back on Eden. So uh, the other one is called The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. So it's less overtly like The Purge, but there are Purge-like qualities to it, such as this is something we do and this is something we've always done. It's, it's a kind of a parable about traditions. Okay. Should we continue these traditions in some cases? The whole town gets together and they put their names in and then draw a name and that person's name ends up being the person who in the end gets stoned to death and like nobody's questioning it but one person but it's like it's always been right well and i think that this tactic of psychological reinforcement of like we're going to force everyone to participate to reinforce the Um, structure of our totalitarian society because you could argue that that's a totalitarian setup yeah I, i that reminds me of handmaid's tale and that part where the handmaids are forced to literally tear a woman apart with their hands as mm-hmm. like a form of punishment and they're all and they all have to do it mm-hmm. and I, they have like a special word for it i can't remember what it is but this idea that like the people who oppress you will force you to participate in your own oppression as a way of like preventing you from escaping it feels like it could apply to the lottery and to the purge and to a lot of other things totally agree with you on that okay so i guess it's question time I think it's question time. Question time is question uh, time. where we ask each other questions that we have not had time to prepare responses for. Okay, so my first question is, um, and I think this one might be pretty obvious, 
what would you do on a night where anything is allowed? Okay, so if we both had purge night, let's just make that the first two questions. Okay. That's my first question for you too. Purge packed? <laughs> yes, purge packed. All okay. right. What would I do on a night where anything's allowed? Um, what would I purge? I don't know. I think I'd like to accompany you on your mission. Oh. I also think that if we could manage to do it in one night, she'll tell you what she's what her mission is in a moment. But I love that you already know my mission. (laughs) (laughs) I think my mission would be to try and obliterate all medical debt. Okay. Okay. I dig that. So my my mission, and I would love your help because we could probably do both in one night, would be to sneak into the bursar's office at the college where I work and set all the tuition bills to zero. Yes. Because in my direct power, I don't have the ability to erase student loan debt, but I do know how to change the tuition bills. So <laughs> that's one thing that I can do. And then I would lose my job. So clearly Purge Night has a lot of planning involved, but you know. But that's not true because if... Perch night exists, then you would be, it would be well within your right to do that. I don't believe that there are truly no social consequences to purge night. No, but if they, if there are all these other things going on, I don't know. That's true. I guess I'd be safe for a year and then next year they'd come and murder me. So anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Who is your least favorite character in the movie? Honestly. Yeah the son which is terrible because he's like the hero and like lets the dude in and represents the moral right but i'm such an anxious person that every time i watch this movie i'm just sitting there going like just don't do it like don't upset the apple cart like just get through purge night like just survive this doesn't have to be the night that you make a stand but obviously that's not how movies work so um i yeah i I really actually hate the son like a lot (laughs) okay I just don't think that he's... Baby go-kart. Well, yeah, that whole thing is weird. And I also just don't find him to be, like, a very sympathetic or interesting character at all. But, like, neither are any of them, really, so... Except the vet, the veteran. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm sorry, I meant the family. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. He's very interesting. So my takeaway is actually a personal note, Mm -hmm. which is that I grew up in a neighborhood that basically serves as a proxy for the purge. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, It was unbelievably affluent white enclave that bordered Detroit and the wealth and race dynamics uh, just paralleled the movie. So I just like want to say that I probably would have been one of the people getting ready to to murder the Sandins uh, because I spent most of my high school extremely jealous of and mad about the ridiculous wealth of my neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end when like his neighbors are like mad about, you know, being the reason that he's rich... (laughs) I know that I'm not supposed to identify with them, but I like a certain level of my like petty adolescence gets it. Sure. Sure. Um, so that's, that's my takeaway from the Okay. I don't have a specific real takeaway from the film other than I think it was well done, yeah. but I do think that there is one moment that really stuck out for me as far as like, a realization for the first time, having watched it a couple times before. And it's like the hubris of Ethan Hawke's character to create security systems that don't secure. Yes. Well, they were, they work most of the time. Don't worry purge, about it. The purge doesn't happen here the way it happens in other places. Yeah. Well, now it does, buddy. And you've, you fucked yourself. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
very little sympathy for that situation. I uh, I found that to be very like intense. I wanted to rewind and watch it again. I was so upset about the whole thing. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next time we see everyone will be in August, which is Bonnie month. Oh my god, that's right. Bonnie's birthday month. Um, so for our respective birthday months, we're going to have the birthday person, aka Bonnie, choose a movie that's their fave or otherwise their choice. And one movie that the co-host, aka Lauren, thinks of and considers to be inseparable from the birthday subject. Right. For August and our next film, my choice is Sprang Break. Sprang Break forever. Yeah. I look forward to deep diving on that whole thing with you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited right now. Yeah. So do we have any more notes? Anything else you want to add? Socials? Talk about the socials? Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening. You can follow us and subscribe on your platform of choice. Um, You can also find all of our archived episodes at checkyourthreading.com. Follow us on Instagram at checkyourthreading or connect with us on Twitter at check threading hope to talk to you all soon oh wait please feel free to email us with suggestions comments questions anything we will start to read your questions on the air at some point once we start getting them at check your threading pod at gmail.com all right feel free to send popcorn to lauren's address at that's hilarious because bonnie loves popcorn like more than anything <laughs> on this planet <laughs> Uh, popcorn for birthday month we'll oh yeah i'll share my favorite popcorn recipes next next week until then oh my gosh love you guys oh my god bye bye, bye.